This is Let's Go Michigan with Jeff Sloan on 760 WJR. Your bird's eye view on Michigan's business and entertainment scene. Here's Jeff. All right, welcome to Let's Go Michigan. It's Saturday, September 16th. Joining me as always, co-host Kristen Kajawa, Mark Pastoria. Guys, good to have you with us. Hey, it's feeling like we're really making that transition now out of summer and into fall. I don't know how you guys feel, but it's fall now. It's still summer. That is true. We got Mark. What do we have coming up that's going to mark the technical move from summer to fall, the official? What do you call that? This is your moment. Mark, Mark, we've been over this now. (laughs) So many times. On the show, over and over, (laughs) every quarter it happens, you make a transition and there's a, here, this one is the autumnal equinox. There it is. There it is, Mark. I was just going to say. What's the date? Is it the 21st? 21st. So we've got a few more days before it's official, but boy, it's feeling like fall. Cooler weather, no doubt about it. Football, college, and professional happening everywhere. Lots of excitement around our Michigan football these days. The state of Michigan, football, the Detroit Lions, University of Michigan, Michigan State certainly going through a transition. We'll see where all that goes and plays out, but we'll be rooting for our Spartans nonetheless. Those boys who put on that uniform and committed to that university, they're going to go out there and hopefully play their hearts out. It's not about them. Let's hope that they have a great game today. And, of course, Michigan tonight, the Lions tomorrow. Here we go. Mark, you are all in. I'm all in. You are. You are indeed. Mark, did you buy your blue ski mask? Exactly. That's the big question. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You do? I have one, yeah. You you had one? I have one. So the blue ski mask. So I've just been learning about this. Tell us about this. This is something started by one of the Lions players, Mark. C.J. Gardner Johnson. And he wants us wearing the blue ski mask if you're going to show up at the game. Yeah, he wants the stadium filled with blue ski masks. People in blue ski masks. Yeah, good luck finding one, though. Yeah, it's they, too late now. Did you guys know this? They sold out on Amazon. Is that incredible? The day after he posted it. Lions mania is for real. I mean, it's bedlam. Bedlam. It's absolute insanity. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, we had a great start to the season. One way to shut it off. <laughs> and now I'll be talking, we'll be talking on the next show about SOL, right? <laughs> yeah. If they lose to the Seattle Seahawks at home tomorrow, that's not going to happen. No, I think they're ready. They're ready. Dan Campbell's got them ready. It's going to be insane. He wants the stadium louder than the Kansas City Stadium was. Of course, we quieted that stadium a bit when the Lions played the Chiefs. But nonetheless, he wants a loud stadium tomorrow. I have a feeling, Mark, you're, you're right. He's going to get it, and the team's going to play their hearts out. It's going to be amazing. Are either of you going to the game? I'm going, yeah. Are you really, Mark? Oh, yeah. Wow. That's Mark's so going to be cool. in his blue. We're going to be looking for you in your blue ski mask. Well, <laughs> yeah. how are we going to tell? You will. Well, it's going to look like, will you put like a little like Mark written across the top of your yep. ski mask so we'll know it's you when you're on the Jumbotron? Love it. I'll be there. All right. Okay. All right. Well, that's really fun. We talked about football kids back in school, the cooler weather. It's definitely fall. We got the autumnal equinox coming up this week. Say that three times fast. So we have all this going on. Well, there are other ways to mark the beginning of fall and the transition out of summer. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but every fall, no matter what you're doing, whether you're at a football game outdoors, whether you're at some event, whether you're just in the yard, what is it about the bees who seem to go crazy when fall hits? What's going on? They are everywhere, Jeff. And you know what? It's actually not bees. They're not our sweet little pollinators. They're yellow jacket wasps. 
Really? They look like bees. Well, they look like bees, yes, but, but they're, they're not. not. They're yellow jacket wasps. Yeah, later in the show, we have Janelle D. James on from Bridge, Michigan, and she's going to set the record straight for us. All right. We because I hear. think they're bees too, but they're not. Well, not only just that the bees versus wasp argument, but I also want to know why. What's going on yeah. that drives them? She's going to tell us later in the show. Inquiring minds want to know about that. And then another way to mark the transition from summer to fall is the big thing that goes on as part of our culture, and that is the moving of our summer clothes out of the closets and drawers and into the store, wherever the stores may be. I don't want to talk about where mine ends up, <laughs> my, my summer wardrobe. But in any case, you swap out the summer wardrobe, you bring in the winter, the fall clothes, the darker colors, right? It's You got to get the whites moved out, right? You got to move the whites out. Really? Well, depending on who you ask. Oh, We'll talk about it later. In the show. Just wear black. You don't have to do anything. Well, that's if you wear black year-round, Mark. Right? That, and you do, by the way. I've noticed that. That's your thing. Yeah, you know. That's your but go-to color. It's an Italian Mark's, thing. He's cool. He's cool. But uh, he's going to have a blue ski Except mask on tomorrow. Ski exactly. Mask. You'll have that on tomorrow. But, no, I think what you're saying, though, Kristen, is you've done some digging. And, in fact, it's okay to wear white. Maybe keep some whites in the wardrobe into the fall. I'm not going to reveal you're not gonna spill now. The beans. No, we'll I'm not going to. Tune into the show, and later. you'll hear later in the yep. show, we're going to have a little breakdown. On, yes, I will on... give you the best fashion advice I can muster <laughs> up, which is not much. Mark, Mark, no comment. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. No comment. Got to keep the team together here. All right, listen, lots going on this weekend. How about the opening of the auto show? Of course, that's a big deal. The North American Auto Show here in Detroit this year at the Huntington Center. Of course, the auto show opens today. It rolls for nine straight days. There'll be a variety of interesting things to do and see, different from just looking at cars. Of course, there's some startup companies that'll be present there, bringing new technologies to the auto industry and to those of us, the consumers who buy and use these vehicles. You'll also be able to climb a mountain, a fake man-made mountain, of course, inside the Huntington Place in a vehicle. You'll be able to see Flying cars on display. Whoever thought that that would really become a reality during our lifetimes? Yeah, this auto show actually has been said that it's much more hands-on and much more guest-friendly, meaning there's so many more interactive attractions for people to go down and see and participate instead of just strolling the aisles looking at the cars. You actually get to get into a lot of them, test drive them. And, of course, it'll be both gas-powered vehicles and electric vehicles, you know, on display more and more and more as we move forward. There'll also be a Camp Jeep Kids Zone, for example, for the first time at the Detroit Auto Show. The Jeep brand is going to feature a kids course where kids can drive their own Jeep power wheels. Listen, that's the day I'm staying away. <laughs> Some of those could get away and be cause a little cause a little havoc at the old auto show. But that's fun. That's really great. Looking forward to that. And then in other news, COVID boosters are out. There's new boosters covering the new variants and so on. FDA has approved them. You know, it's an interesting choice. Some people don't want to get the boosters. We know that well. Others feel it's just mandatory. But they are out now, you're saying? Yeah, they are. And to each their own, if you feel it's important. You know, COVID is actually, while it seems to make the news less and less, it's not that acute sensation that it was when it first happened. We didn't know how to manage it from a health standpoint, of course. Many people, unfortunately, dying from it, a very serious thing. Now, we have a much more greater understanding of how to not only prevent it, but manage it. And we have tools in place to do that. It doesn't hit the headlines like it used to, but COVID rates are rising. And lastly, I want to make mention in this segment of a story that caught my attention. It's the story of Sam Mullet, 
the first woman head coach in Michigan high school football history. How about that? I think this is really cool. She coaches the Bear Lake High School football team. After decades of not having a team of its own, Bear Lake now does. That's, by the way, Bear Lake's located in northwestern lower Michigan between Manistee and Traverse City. It's in its seventh season, and it plays its home games at nearby Brethren High School. What's her approach to the game? Well, she says, when it comes to Bear Lake High School, I love it here. This is where I belong. And I think she means not only at the school, but in the position of coaching the football team. How cool is that? Who is Sam Mullet? She's 28 years old. She returned kickoffs for the Buffalo Bills in training camp last summer. No kidding. How about that? I mean, she knows football. She comes from the ranks of the pros. Prior to taking over the head coaching role, she was an assistant to John Prokes. He had this to say about Sam. Sam is a natural choice, woman or not, intellectually. Her knowledge of the game is one of the best I've ever been associated with. She loves it. She breaks it down at a level. It's just unbelievable. She herself, by the way, was a 4.0 student and valedictorian. So here she is now back at her alma mater coaching the football team. How cool is that? Hats off to her and the entire program and good luck to them this year. Okay, now look, one of the things that is on everyone's minds these days is, you know, how to keep the ball rolling in these inflationary times, how to afford the things that not only that I want, but that I need, my family needs. And Rose White from MLive.com, she's a regular on the show, does such a great job. Kristen, you found this story. You're a shopper. 73% of all household shopping is done by the mom or the woman in the household. And consistent with that, I know that you have shopped at Dollar General stores before you mentioned that. Yes, I have. I've shopped there, and so has probably 90% of the state of Michigan. Well, and that, that, (laughs) you know what? That's probably right because this story we're about to hit on right now is about the proliferation, the growth, the expansion, the omnipresence now that Dollar General stores has in the state of Michigan. Of course, not only in the state of Michigan, nationwide, but in particular, since we're focused on the state of Michigan, now 700 stores and more to come. Dollar General stores are everywhere. Rose White, you're with us. Always enjoy having you on the show. You published an article in MLive just recently to bring to our awareness the growth of Dollar General stores here in the state. Tell us, Rose, what's going on here and why this growth is happening. Why are those yellow and black branded Dollar General stores seemingly everywhere these days? It's hard to drive around Michigan and not see a yellow and black Dollar General sign. I think everybody can relate to that, whether you're driving up to northern Michigan or you're in a city like Detroit or Grand Rapids, it's they are seemingly everywhere. And so what this story kind of looks at is just the fact that they basically are everywhere. So there's 700 locations in Michigan, which just for comparison, their top competitor, Family Dollar, another similar sort of box store. They have 365 stores, so about half the number of stores. And then a, a chain, you know, like Meyer. it's not a direct comparison because they're a much larger format grocery store, but Meyer, headquartered in Michigan, they have 123 stores. Walmart has 90 super centers. So there's just a plethora of Dollar General across the state. It's unbelievable. 700. Yeah. Across <laughs> Michigan. And there's more coming. (laughs) And more coming. And they're located in a combination of both rural areas and urban cities. So you're right. It doesn't matter where you go. They're there. And sometimes some of these rural towns have more than one. Yeah. And tagging onto that, Kristen, I actually read an article, and I don't remember where this was, but on this point, 
there was an article that said, and I think this is actually about Walmart, but it just, you know, given the inflationary pressure, there's now more luxury automobiles in the parking lots of stores like Dollar General, Walmart, et cetera, discounters or, you know, places where you can save a buck or two than there has ever been before. So it's hitting across all demographic profiles, you know, in terms of family income and wherewithal and so on. Yeah, and what you guys hit at is is their how they've strategized their locations is a part of their success. So they've zeroed in on some of these rural communities where there maybe aren't any other stores in town or there's very few options. And so by being able to set up shop there, they've been able to enter into this rural market where a lot of retailers chose not to go. And similarly, in, in urban areas, I think we don't see a lot of grocery stores set up in downtown areas. There's a huge issue with food deserts around that. So Dollar General also kind of targeted some of those deep urban centers as well. But Dollar General doesn't claim to be a grocery store, right? That's correct. And that's sort of where we're seeing pushback on this. You know, Dollar General, it's offering an option for these communities and they definitely have some food. So in that sense, it is good. It's providing um, a place for people to get groceries nearby. But Dollar General has adamantly said they are not a grocery store. They don't offer fresh produce and they have shelf-stable items. And so that's another sort of way they've been able to grow so quickly is their distribution is a lot easier than a store like Meyer Walmart where they have a smaller radius of where they can distribute just because they have things that will expire more quickly. Yeah, Rosen, as your article points out, Dollar General has been around since 1939 when it opened its first store and really, really had a boom during the Great Recession, but now expanding wildly even more. Now, uh, 75% of the American population lives within five miles of a Dollar General store. Certainly, this provides an advantage. The convenience is there prices are lower or are they? You know, I've even seen articles that not all things at Dollar General are for a dollar, certainly. And more than that, some of them aren't even discounted. What do you know about that? Yeah, I mean, I think the name Dollar General does not imply it's a dollar store. Right, right. Um, right. And, you know, another sort of aspect of their business model is they work with distributors and with suppliers, so they sort of have their own size of things. So while the price may seem cheaper on the shelf, it might actually be more expensive than what you would get in a full-service grocery store because it's a smaller product size. So it's sort of some of these tactics that critics point out and say that Dollar General is causing harm to some communities. But, you know, like I mentioned earlier, for especially rural areas, um, or urban centers where there's no other stores around, it is supplying this as an option. And, and Dollar General is a store that accepts SNAP dollars. So for people who are on food benefits, it can be an option as well. So the bottom line here, it sounds like the fact that, you know, obviously this company from a business standpoint is meeting with great success, but it sounds like a net positive, you know, especially for people either in the urban areas that don't have access to, you know, basic grocery items and certainly in rural areas. It's a positive, right? The fact that they proliferated like this and they're everywhere and available to consumers to have access to things that they need, especially at the favorable pricing, ideally. It's a positive, isn't it? You know, it depends who you ask. They have a lot of critics, um, and I can understand their, their perspective as well. So, you know, in some of these instances, Dollar General in these rural communities might set up shop next to the only other retailer in town. And because they're able to offer prices lower than an independently owned retailer, it ends up forcing that business to close. So 
while there are benefits, there are drawbacks as well. And one of their big critics on the Institute for Self-Reliance, they've done a big report on just how Dollar General, while maybe addressing food deserts and solving that issue in one sense, you know, they're not a full grocery store, they also tend to create them. And the food research that I spoke to as well, she mentioned that, well, it doesn't always push retailers out of town. Once a Dollar General is in town, it's less likely that a full grocery store will open. So in that sense, it's not necessarily addressing the problem adequately, but it is providing some sort of solution for these communities that struggle to access food. It's an immediate fix for sure, but I can see how it also creates this culture of maybe poor eating habits, unhealthy Mm. food, because you're not being provided with fruits, vegetables, produce, you know, other things that you would need to sustain a diet. You're only being provided with things that are sustainable on a shelf. So there is a plus and, you know, a negative to having a Dollar General in your town. Yeah, and I think, you know, we've seen in Michigan, I've done some coverage on this as well, some communities have pushed back on Dollar General entering into their community. So they, I think for some of these reasons that we've outlined, they're concerned about the impact on independent retailers and locally owned stores, as well as just sort of the idea of a big corporate box store coming into their small town. Jeff, did you read in her article that Dollar General has a bigger retail footprint than McDonald's, Starbucks, Target, and Walmart combined? It's amazing. It's, I can't even. That's, that's, that's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. Well, but yeah. it's a reality. It and it reality. certainly underscores and makes the point why Rose is focused on the subject matter in her article and why we're bringing the story to you. All right. Well, I've got to ask you both, and first I'll just tell you both, and all the rest of you listening into the story here that I've shopped at a Dollar General and, yes, and it's, a, it's a good shopping experience, frankly. They are tough competition for lots of reasons, uh, some of which you've mentioned, Rose, and highlighted. Have either of you, I'm curious, have either of you guys been in a Dollar General store? Yeah, absolutely. What do you think? I mean, you get what you get. I mean, I've purposely shopped in there and... So you purposely, it's not just yeah. because, you know, oh, oh, I need to stop for something. There's a, I see a Dollar General, I'll pull in. You've actually said, I got to go shopping. I'm going to Dollar General. And here's a secret I'll tell yeah, you. Yeah. Okay, so I go usually to the Dollar General or some form of a dollar store for poster board for school projects. I mean, that makes all the <laughs> sense in the world, right? Why pay more? <laughs> Why pay more? So there's my secret. It's out now. Now no stores will have poster board anymore, but there I you <laughs> Ro- Rose, I Rose, you're not dodging this one. What about you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I live um, pretty close to downtown Grand Rapids, and there are not grocery stores near where I live, um, but there's a Dollar General two blocks from my apartment. So if I need something quick, if I need to pick something up, Dollar General is where I usually end up going. Yeah, so there we go. I mean, yeah. from a business standpoint, again, if you look at it, you know, how's this business doing from a pure business standpoint? If you're a shareholder, a stockholder, if you're part of the uh, ownership of this great, how can you say great company? You got to be pretty happy with the way the company's performing, the niche that they filled, their positioning in the marketplace, the way they've gone about it, their brand, their omnipresence, uh, availability to those in need of uh, a shopping outlet like this. It works. Yeah, I mean, I will point out one other caveat and one other concern that critics of Dollar General have pointed out is they have a lot of safety issues as well. So they've been cited by OSHA um, repeatedly over the past couple of years. And a part of, you know, their business strategy is also they keep staffing levels very low. So it might not be the best retail experience. I know I've gone into Dollar General's and there's boxes piled up and things haven't been shelved just because they don't have the staff to, to shelve things as quickly as staff that's better stocked with labor. That's a good point, and of course, that you know, an important one. But 
At the same time, if you're looking for something that, like in your case, Kristen, you mentioned you go for a specific item or a specific few items, you know where they generally are in the store. You don't need a lot of guidance at this point, you know, for expertise from an associate in the store. That kind of experience, there's a place for this, clearly. Right. There's a place for it, certainly aside from the safety issues, which are important in and of themselves. But nonetheless, the company fills a real need for consumers out there. And Michigan's not the only state that has an abundance of dollar generals. No, 75% of Americans have them within five minutes, five miles. That's right. I think, Rose, I think you said in your article they're expanding to Canada and Mexico. Mexico at this point. Oh, Mexico. Yeah, they open okay. their first store in Mexico. And then Montana is the last state in the continental U.S. that doesn't have one, but it's expected to open later this year. Oh, so see? only Alaska and Hawaii at this point do not have a Dollar General, but there are 19,000 locations across the country. So definitely not solely Michigan. All right. Rose White, economic reporter for MLive.com. As always, Rose, you're a regular on our show. We appreciate it very much. All right. Well, Kristen, you and I have each now admitted publicly that we support Dollar General stores. We're part of the reason why they've expanded so wildly. For better or worse. For better or for worse. For better and for worse. Yeah. As the case may be. We, uh, you know, applaud them and recognize them for their great business prowess and the success that they're having. And for those that they serve and serve well, Dollar General stores making a great run here in the state of Michigan. All right. We're going to talk now about, uh, you could call it an epidemic. I mean, it's becoming uh, a real problem, and that is that people are feeling more lonely these days. This is a serious matter. This isn't just a, oh, woe is me kind of thing. This cuts right to mental health issues and everything else. You know, the human nature is just a fundamental part of human nature is our desire to interact and engage with others socially. And it's becoming, for a variety of reasons, and we'll hear about those in a second, it's becoming more and more complicated and more complex to simply make that happen. Absolutely. And especially now that malls are closing and downtowns are becoming more sparse, that's where people have always congregated for decades. Right. And I think on top of all that, clearly the pandemic, I'm sure, and again, we're going to hear from someone who's written an article about this in a second, but, you know, the pandemic certainly has had an impact on all of this. I think even post-pandemic, a lot of us got into behavior patterns or relied on technology and kind of immersed ourselves maybe more online or into various apps, whether it's TikTok or social media, whatever That's it may right. be, instead of getting together with others and doing the old pressing the flesh and getting together with someone and sharing a drink or a conversation or a coffee, whatever it may be. And to help us kind of frame all of this out is Eliza Relman. She's just published an article at insider.com. She's an economic policy correspondent in Insider.com. And Eliza, we want to welcome you to the show and have you give us the high level on this issue, if you will, Eliza. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Kristen. So the U.S. is facing a crisis of loneliness. The Surgeon General came out with a report in the spring that found that we're facing an epidemic of loneliness. It's the rate of people reporting being lonely is increasing every year. And this is being exacerbated by a variety of factors. And what I focused on here is our lack of third places, which are places that are not home, work, or school. So that can be anything, including a cafe, a bar, a park, a library, places that ideally are inclusive and affordable and that you can come together with other people and hang out. What is driving the fact that we are lonelier as a society? And there are fewer opportunities for us to get together these days. 
Yeah, so there are a bunch of different factors here at play. So one of them is the rise of technology. We spend a lot more time online, on our phones, you know, watching TV, playing video games, doing things that are not necessarily interactive with others. We also spend a lot of time working. We are working longer hours for lower wages, so we're spending more time at work and less time hanging out with our friends and family, particularly friends. People report that they are spending about 37% less time per week with their friends these days than they were about 10 years ago. So, you know, there are a variety of factors at play here, and one of them is our lack of social infrastructure. Yeah, and in your article, Eliza, you talk about public and communal spaces. Are you speaking specifically of just downtown areas in general? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a variety. That can include downtown areas, shopping districts. It can include malls. A lot of people used to spend time, you know, shopping in malls, hanging out in the food court. We have fewer of those spaces now as shopping has moved online. And it can also include, you know, your local park even sidewalks, places where people can just see each other. It can be waving hello to your neighbor or having a conversation with someone you already know, or just seeing strangers on the street also helps people feel a deeper sense of belonging. Yeah. And you mentioned, Eliza, this is kind of multifactorial, this being the fact that people are feeling lonelier, spending less time with friends and so on. I think you mentioned one of the obvious things, and that is that we're just busier these days, whether it be with our families or, as you say, at work. You know, we just don't have the time that we used to have, it seems. At least it feels that way. Apparently, that's very real, and it's having an impact on our ability to get together socially with people we'd otherwise love to spend time with. But it also begs kind of an obvious question. The pandemic really kind of changed everything, as we know, and certainly impacted during the pandemic our ability to get together with friends. Has it had an effect post-pandemic on this issue of uh, keeping us more apart than we'd otherwise like to be and therefore driving more sense of loneliness? Absolutely. You know, the pandemic exacerbated a trend that was already at play. You know, we've seen loneliness rates increasing the last few decades. This is not a new phenomenon, but it was certainly made worse by the fact that everyone was trapped in their homes for a period of time. And a lot of things moved online and a lot of people started working remotely most of the time. And a lot of our third places closed. You know, your local cafe may have shut down because they couldn't make it through COVID. There's been a real dramatic impact that we've seen from COVID. And so where's it all going? Is there a fix? Are there fixes? Are there people thinking about how to help us with this sense of loneliness by giving us more opportunities to actually get together with people we want to spend time with? What's being done? Yeah, so I spoke with city planners who think a lot about this and people who are otherwise engaged in making cities more livable. And what they told me is that we need to invest in our public spaces and our shared spaces in ways that invite people in. That includes creating parks and libraries and other spaces with lots of amenities that attract all kinds of different people. We need more public bathrooms. There's lots of places in the United States that just don't have enough bathrooms and you can't spend a lot of time, you know, outside your home or in these shared spaces if we don't satisfy those needs. They also suggested, you know, legalizing public drinking in more places. Right. I see in your Um, article, you mentioned it as a surefire way to get more Americans to hang out together, legalize public drinking. I mean, that does make a lot of sense. We know about European cafes, you know, and so on, where there's all that kind of thing happening around uh, the notion of having a drink together. 
Absolutely. And it, it's more inclusive. You know, you don't have to spend as much money if you bring, you know, a bottle of wine or a beer from home and drink it out in the street or in a park, then you would have to spend at a bar. It's more inclusive to all types of people and people love to drink. So, you know, why not allow that in a responsible way in the public space? I spoke with a couple of U.S. senators who are concerned about this issue. Um, Senator Chris Murphy, a Connecticut Democrat, he's introduced legislation to create an Office of Social Connection Policy um, in the executive branch. And he wants to send more funding for loneliness research and invest in social infrastructure. And he wants to see, you know, downtowns be revitalized, things and a bunch of other policies that would hopefully, you know, help connect people. Of course. And you point out in your article... Homebuyers in the biggest U.S. cities are willing to pay 35% more to live in walkable areas. Renters, 41% more. So certainly this is really important to people. We know that intuitively, but that really underscores it. That's where it hits you right where it counts in the pocketbook. People willing to spend a lot more as long as they can have access to this kind of social interactivity. Right. I talked with developers, including folks who are running this new development called cul-de-sac right outside Phoenix, Arizona. That's a new car-free development. And that's similar to many other developments in that it's an amenity-heavy space with, you know, apartments and then a grocery store, restaurant, cafe, bike shop, you know, all kinds of amenities right in the neighborhood. It's sort of a five-minute city. And they're recognizing, you know, the market demand for these walkable neighborhoods. People will pay more and they want these places, especially if you work remotely. You might want to be able to just walk downstairs and grab a coffee or be sort of have your neighbors around if you don't have that work community in the office. So yeah, there's a real market demand for this. Well, and then the Surgeon General even has gotten involved. I mean, it's such an issue, so important that the Surgeon General has called for, as your article points out, a multi-pronged approach to addressing this issue, including investing in paid family leave, accessible mass transit, training healthcare providers to address social disconnection among patients and so on, reforming digital safety rules, all these things that make for social interactivity much more not only available, but much more approachable, you know, and digestible, if you will, consumable in the sense that these kinds of changes really make it more suitable and more readily available for people to have opportunity to get together. And that certainly resonates with me. I know I put in a full day at work. I know I go home, got kids at home. There's no time for this kind of thing. And then if there is, if you don't live in a walkable community, for example, you know, it's hard to get together. Eliza, thank you so much. It's great stuff. We really appreciate you coming on with us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. All right, Eliza Relman, economic policy correspondent at Insider. We appreciate it very much. This is really serious. Kristen, thank God at work, we're all buddies. I mean, and honestly, we have each other. I'm happy to see you. I'm happy right. I don't work from home. Right. Our third place, right, is fourth and fifth place, well, by yeah. the way, has become <laughs> a, the work yeah. environment. Mark, you know, we love being together. We've got a great friendship, great working relationship. And it is the place where I have to say mm-hmm. we spend most of our day here, here. Right. And we spend it with each other. Absolutely. And so uh, fortunately, we're we appreciate one another, love each other's company, and we mm-hmm. get our socialization largely through that. But uh, it does not take the place, by the way, and the point was made, 
of being able to go out and socialize and meet a friend for a drink. Absolutely. You know, I was thinking about what she was saying about going out and being able to grab a drink with a friend or even just go grab lunch. And right. we've talked about this before. Inflation is really putting a Curbing hindrance on that, a lot of that. too. I mean, not it only is. do we have this sense of loneliness and we are out of the habit of getting together with people, but in addition to that, we can't afford to go out. I was just going to say, not only yeah. do we have loneliness, we can't even spend money to make ourselves feel better. <laughs> I know. <laughs> right? I know. I mean, you don't get that same level of satisfaction because the spend doesn't go as far. Well, look, guys, as I mentioned in the opening, that there seems to be a frenzy of what appear to be anyway. And I think, Kristen, you corrected me in the opening, and we'll get into this more in a minute, of what appear to be bees that are much more active and, in fact, maybe even much more aggressive in the fall. Every September, what's going on with this? They are everywhere, and it's so irritating when you go to a cider mill and you're just surrounded right. by bees, right. or you're at a football game and you see them hovering above the garbage cans and right. the stand. It's, right. It is, yes, they're right. everywhere. Now, first, let's do a yeah. little disclaimer here. We have interviewed on this show other experts about bees and the importance of bees. Of course, they're the pollinators, so you know, we would not have fruits and vegetables and grain and all the rest if these things weren't properly pollinated. We do support bees, but I wanted to understand why in September we dislike bees so much. So we interviewed Janelle D. James from Bridge, Michigan, and she actually set the record straight. I asked her, what is the difference between a yellow jacket and a bee? And here's what she had to say. Well, I want to make a really quick distinction. So yellow jackets are actually not bees. They are a type of wasp. And it's important for people to understand that because it explains why when people see these black and yellow flying objects around them, they're thinking, oh, it's just a bee. These cute little pollinators that are relatively harmless unless they sting you, not a big deal. These yellow jacket wasps are very feisty, especially during this time of year, and they are much more aggressive than bees. All right, so now we know they're not bees, and I'm happy to hear that. Who needs wasps? And I'm curious, is there an explanation for why these wasps seem to go so crazy when September hits? Absolutely, yeah. She did go on to explain this. Yellow jackets are already feisty, especially during this time of year, because this is when their colonies hit their peak, meaning all of the yellow jackets that are nesting are next year's yellow jackets, which include next year's queen yellow jacket. For the most part, yellow jackets, they feed on protein. So that's why they are attracted to some of those popular items that we have at picnics or barbecues and things like that. But during this time of year, they also develop a sweet tooth. So they do want all those sugary things that are also found at barbecues, picnics, cider mills, things like that. So if you come across a yellow jacket or if you just see anything flying around that's black and yellow, just stand still. Don't swat at it. Great. So that's the record straight on these pesky yellow yeah. jacket wasps. They'll be done by the first frost or November. Excellent. Just all sit right. tight. Good. Perfect. So look, got to ask the question, and we raised it in the opening segment of the show. What's this about whites may be acceptable, white clothing, maybe a fashion, not faux pas, but an acceptability to wear white in the fall? That can't be. Well, let me ask you, do men even- I just finally got that straight, by the way. I just yeah. finally learned that. Now- But do men even really care? 
I mean, are you yeah, really yes. going to say, yes. like, I'm not going to wear my white button-up after Labor well, Day? Well, okay, for example, I wear white pants during the summer, whether it's white jeans occasionally or or a white pair of, you know, dressier white, pants or linen yeah, pants, whatever it may be. Yeah. Right, even a white jacket. I've got yeah. a white jacket. Well, well, I always thought it was after Labor Day, that gets put away until the next season, the next summer season. Right. So you're not wrong. Okay. So originally back in the 1900s, women specifically would wear white in the summer to keep cool. The fabric was usually thin. And so you would wear white to designate like this is summer, right? Because in the wintertime, how hard is it to keep white clean? You have mud, you have slush, you have dirt, you have leaves. I mean, you can't be wearing white all the time. So that was back in the 1900s. However... As time progressed, Coco Chanel actually loved wearing white all year long. She thought it was Listen, this fantastic if she says fashion it's all statement. Right, that's right. You don't argue with Coco Chanel. That's exactly right. So fast forward to now, go ahead and rock your white pants. Really? Yep. Even into winter or just through Even the Even into fall? winter because really? now fashion houses have what's called winter white and cream and off-white. Maybe just heavier fabric it is. I don't and know. And just a touch off of the bright white. Oh, interesting. Like a stone color or something. Right, you see right. that? How or you like cream. that? Stone Whoa. cream. Yeah. Whoa. No, we, not cream. Stone. Stone. I know. Yeah. But I'm saying yes. that you can wear like a different form of white. Right. Just muted a bit. Mute. Not yeah. stark white that Correct. you can get away with in the Correct. summer. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, I think that's been great. You've set the record straight for us on a couple of key issues. And, uh... We appreciate it very much. Thank you, Kristen. You're welcome. All happy, right. Happy to help. Happy to help. Happy Saturday, everybody. We're going to call it quits on this edition of Let's Go Michigan. But you can count on us being back every Saturday. As long as we don't get preempted by Michigan State football, we're here. That's right. We're here. All right. Go Spartans. Go Wolverines. Go Lions. Have a great weekend, everybody. <laughs>